Pastor Brent, so good to be back. Uh, my family's road trip was amazing. We were gone for a couple weeks and visiting family and friends. Here's a few of the stats, okay? So here's what we did. We went to 12 states, six national parks, two national monuments. We saw 48 different U.S. license plates. Anybody like do the license plate kind of counting thing? Okay, we saw three Hawaii license plates, which I told my kids was impossible. And they said, Dad, how long does it take to drive here from Hawaii? I said, long time. <laughs> we didn't get Delaware and Rhode Island. So if you ever see one, please take a, pic take a picture or something, send it to me. Um, we were at eight swimming pools. We had nine visits with family and friends. We were in three different time zones, five mountain passes. And we had one nine-month-old golden retriever. So <laughs> who did great? He did great. Well, I just wanted to say thank you for giving us the opportunity. It was very special, special family memories that we were able to make over the last few weeks. But we're really glad to be back. Um, I also wanted to say thank you before we get rolling today. For those who worked on the Back 40 this last week, uh, there was a number of things that were going on. There's a transformation happening on the back part of that property, our, of our property, if you haven't seen it. We had five uh, yards of compost soil donated. We had spreading of, of wood chips across the pathways as we're creating pathways back there uh, for outdoor teaching stations. There's all kinds of things coming into shape. So thank you for all of you who are putting all that hard work into it. Okay, we're continuing our series this morning called Summer Seminars, Foundations of Faith, and we're turning a corner today. And as you can see, and if you look on the screen here, this is, this is the outline of where we've been and where we're going as we launched into this series. We've been asking foundational questions such as, what is the gospel? What is the Bible? What is theology? What's spiritual growth? What is the church? And now this week, we're going to be turning to looking at, at having a biblical perspective on various topics, various important issues as we walk in faithfulness with Jesus today. And that's things like work and fruitfulness, worship and generosity, suffering and perseverance, worldview and culture, conflict and forgiveness, marriage and family, embodiment and then civic engagement. So this week, we're launching into this second half as we're talking biblical perspectives. And today's topic is that first one, work and fruitfulness. And it's our first topic for a purpose because it was going to bring us back to the beginning of the Bible to understand what we're made for. So as we get started here, I, wanna, I just want to take a moment to stress an important theme that we first encountered when we learned about the gospel. So let me ask you a question. What is the relationship between faith and works? What's the understanding that we need to have about being saved by God's grace and yet being obedient to God and, and how all of that flows together and, and connects? And this is a classic question and the scriptures are really clear. And here's what I want to share with you to get started and make sure we're all on the same page. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10 say this. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the, the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, in the very same breath, in, in the proper order even, Paul lays out a theology of the relationship between 
our faith in Jesus and how we're saved by God's grace and then the good works that God has called us to do. We are saved by grace. It's a gift. We can't boast in ourselves. But now that we've been forgiven, redeemed, made new creations, adopted into God's family, given his spirit to dwell within us, having become recipients of such a costly love, being in awe of God's mercy and grace through Jesus Christ, we now have the privilege to walk in obedience to God as a response of love to him. Not to earn his favor, not out of obligation or legalism. We love because he first loved us. So friends, let me just share from this passage. You are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works the, the, that God has prepared in advance for you to do. If you trust in Christ and you live in the freedom and security of being a blood-bought child of God, we get to simply enjoy with this joyful, fruitful obedience to our loving Heavenly Father who saved us by His grace. So, keeping ourselves, I wanted to start here because keeping ourselves centered in the gospel, we need to, to, to see how Jesus himself described the purpose that we have in life and the outcome of being connected to him in the gospel. So, open with me to John chapter 15. Let's start there. So, grab your Bible, open to John 15. If you need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand. would love to have you follow along with me. Um, we're going to be looking at the first eight verses of the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and then we'll kind of look at the remaining, kind of the next section after that in a moment. But I just want to begin by, by reading this passage, and, and we're going to be reading uh, ahead a little bit here, because you know we're in the Gospel of John in our series that, we start, uh, that we've been doing you know, since last fall. We're going to be coming back to John 15 in October, so we're kind of um, getting a little sneak peek here as we look ahead to this chapter, and we're right in the middle of Jesus' teaching in the upper room to his disciples, and this is the night before he's crucified. And this is the seventh I am statement of Jesus in the Gospel of John, the climactic moment of what Jesus is teaching to his disciples. So let's look at what, what Jesus teaches about gospel fruitfulness. John 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. 
Okay, again, we're going to come back to this passage later this fall, so I'm not going to get into every detail of what's going on in John 15. But let me be really clear about a few things just as we introduce ourselves to this passage. Let me ask you a couple questions. Who's in control here? Is it the gardener or the branches? It's the gardener, right? It's really obvious. The gardener, of course. Now, who is the source of life? The vine or the branches? It's the vine, of course, not the branches. Now, okay, if you, if you sort of follow the trajectory of this, who's the gardener, who's the vine and the branches, it may seem that the branches are sort of insignificant with no authority and, and no source of life in themselves. But here's the key that we need to grasp right away. If you have the gardener do what he wants to do, and if you're connected to the vine, who gets the privilege of bearing the fruit? The branches do. The branches are where the fruit blossoms and grows and grows into maturity when the gardener is doing his work and his will and when you're connected to the vine. And for whose glory is this? It's for God's glory. Whose fruit is it? Okay, anybody growing a garden this year? Okay, we've got one or two, okay? We are at my house. We have one out here that the kids are working on. At the end of the day, if you're the gardener and it's your garden and you've tended those plants and they're producing that fruit, whose fruit is it? It's the gardener's. It belongs to the gardener. It brings glory to the work that the gardener is doing. So here's, here's what this makes me feel when I read this, of who's the gardener and where the source of life is and who the branches are, is that I want to be a branch. I want to, 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 to see how God's going to work in fruitfulness in my life and, and for his glory, that it, would, that it would be for him. But I'll tell you, friends, when we look at the world around us, our world tells us that we're supposed to be radically autonomous individuals, that, that meaning comes from within us, that you blaze your own trail, that you march to the beat of your own drum, that you cut that off and you get to do whatever you want. But friends, I'll just say very bluntly here that expressive individualism is like cutting yourself off from the vine. It's like kicking the gardener out of the garden. And this text is so clear, you will wither and die when you go off and blaze your own path and do what you want. I read a book a few years ago by a guy named Paul Kingsnorth. It was really fascinating of explaining his journey as he came to faith. He grew up as an atheist in England in the 1980s. And as a young man, he said that he was fully bought into the modern age. In his words, this is what he described in his own words. He said that he believed that religion was irrelevant. It was authoritarian. It was superstitious. It was feeble proto-science. He says it was the theft of our precious free will by authorities who wanted to control us by telling us fairy tales. He said religion was dying a much-needed death at the hands of progress and reason. That was how he viewed the world. And so this, this man, Paul, he went searching for truth elsewhere. What happened is he immersed himself in popular culture. He became an environmentalist. He experimented with Wiccan cults. He tried politics. He indulged every passion and desire that he felt. And after all of it, he said he never found fulfillment or wholeness 
in anything that he tried. This is what he says. He says, in, he says, I found instead the perfect manifestation of everything I wanted in the first place, the magnification of my own will. <laughs> it was like the life he led was a microscope or a magnifying glass to illuminate the darkness in his own heart. He was confronted with his own sin, with his own sinful, dark heart. And he looked everywhere and only found was the rotten fruit of our rebellion against God, his rebellion against God. And he, 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 he had been sucked into this, this world, but he slowly became, he came to realize this rebellion and its consequences, the life that he had chosen and the results that had come. And he slowly came to realize that he needed forgiveness that he needed Christ, that, that the cross holds the key to everything. He wrote this. He said, I, I grew up believing what all modern people are taught, that freedom meant lack of constraint. Like, in other words, I get to do whatever I want. He said, Christianity taught me that this freedom was no freedom at all, but enslavement to my sinful passions. I was in slavery to myself and the sin and the curse that has taken over my life. He says, true freedom, it turns out, is to give up your will and follow God and his will. To deny yourself. He says, I'm terrible at this, but at least now I understand the path. And if you feel like that sometimes, you go, I know. I, I, okay, die to self. Okay, Lord. Help me do that every day. Friends, when we look at this passage in John 15, there's two promises and a warning that I want to make sure are abundantly clear. The first one is that when you follow Jesus, you will be pruned. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When you follow Jesus, you will be pruned. This means the dead and rotten parts of your life that Jesus wants to cut those off and cut them away. Pruning can be painful, it can be messy, and it isn't easy. But friends, you have to remember that you, as I said earlier from Ephesians 2, you are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. And in order for him to do those works in you, through you, he's going to prune you. For his glory. Okay, that's the first promise. The second is if you abide in Christ, you will bear much fruit. When you're connected to the true vine, not some fake or rotten vine, like maybe some idol or false savior of this world or promise that you're given in whatever other context, if you're part of the true vine, the Lord Jesus, you will be fruitful for his glory. And Jesus is the source of all good. He's the giver of life. He's the only one who's worthy to follow and who can transform your life. Now, the last thing that I want to, to share, and it's connected to this promise, is that a little fruit is okay because there's potential for pruning to be more fruitful. Fruitlessness is what's not okay. 
according to this, what Jesus is teaching in this passage. In other words, if you're completely fruitless, like there's nothing in your life that looks anything like Jesus, it means that you're cut off from the vine. In other words, God isn't looking, let me say it a different way, God isn't looking for perfection in your life. He's not looking for you to instantly have this abundant, fruitful harvest He's saying we're not to compare to one another. He says, but if you abide in me, you will bear fruit and I will prune you so that you will bear more and more. Now, let's take a step back for a moment because we've been diving into this John 15 passage and talking about fruitfulness and, and all of that. We need to go back to the beginning of the scriptures because uh, we need to look at this idea of fruitfulness. It's not new. Je Jesus is not making up a new idea necessarily at this moment. He's tapping into a larger theme across the scriptures that explains our original purpose as God's image bearers. So grab your Bible and go back to Genesis chapter 1. Go to Genesis 1 with me. We're going to look at uh, just a few verses from Genesis 1 and then a little bit of part of chapter 2. And, and what we're going to see is our original calling here at the culmination of the creation story. As the opening chapter of Genesis describes God creating everything out of nothing. His design and his purpose, he fashions human beings on purpose for a purpose. Let's look at what the text says. Genesis 1. Verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. We're going to stop there. There's so much more we could read there. But the, we see a couple important truths that we're going to pull right out of this text. The first one is that we are made in God's image, male and female, for a purpose. Do you see how the text flows here? God says in verse 26, Let's, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And then you see a so that statement. When you see so that in the scriptures, that's a purpose. We now see why we are made. So that we may rule, we may uh, we may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the, the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures. There's this purpose of God partnering with us as his co-rulers, his representatives, his stewards in taking care of the created world. And we reflect him in everything that we do. So this idea of an image, it's like a mirror. It's like we reflect God in who we are, in our being, in our relationships, in our function. We bring glory to him in our words and deeds. If you want to describe in the most simple terms what is worship, worship is bearing God's image, walking in his way, bringing him glory in every word and deed. It covers all things that we do when we do it for his glory. It's how we bring him praise and everything. It's what we're designed for. Now, verse 28 is one of the most critical passages in the scriptures, and there are five 
imperatives, five commands back to back to back to back to back. And here's what they are. Be fruitful. Look at verse 28 with me. Be fruitful. This is the main verb of the paragraph, and all else explains what fruitfulness means. It means to increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it, and you see those five things here. Be fruitful, increase, fill, subdue, and rule. These things describe the, the core purpose of what we are to do. And, and, and the, the text I want to uh, skip over to chapter 2 now, to verse 15, because there's a complementary passage here that helps us to see what this means in greater detail as God creates humanity. Chapter 2, verse 15 uses two key words. And I've described them before, but we're just going to make sure we're all on the same page here. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and take care of it. If you're an underliner, some of the most important words you can underline in the opening chapters of Genesis are this words, to work and take care. Or some of your Bibles say, to work and keep. Let me explain what they mean. The first word is the word avodah in Hebrew. It means to cultivate or to nurture. It means to take something that, that is there and to, to, to through effort and foresight and, and all the ways that you take care of and cultivate something that you'd make it fruitful. So this word is actually the same word in the scriptures that is used for worship. That you make something fruitful and that is to God's glory. Now the second word is the word shamarah, which means to keep or to protect. It's the idea of guarding. These two words are probably one of the best ways that we could define a key word for today, which is the word stewardship. Anybody heard the word stewardship before? It's become a really popular term these days. Stewardship is, it's God's idea. And here's what God meant by it. He meant that stewardship is about our cultivating as God's representatives and his ambassadors, cultivating this world that he made, but also guarding, protecting, keeping, preserving, and watching over it. It's both these cultivating and protecting. It's innovating and conserving. It's developing and guarding. You see, in stewardship, there is a yes and a no. In stewardship, there's a movement forward and a need to sometimes hold back. There's a newness and creativity, but there's also restraint and careful attention to limits and boundaries. In short, stewardship takes wisdom. When you're connected to the vine and you're fruitful for God's glory... You walk with wisdom as you understand how God wants us to cultivate, but also to guard. I want to recommend a couple books as we, I'm just giving you like an overview here of some of the big terms. There's a couple books I'd recommend that are in your little sermon handout sheet. One of them is called Work Matters. It's a wonderful introduction. It's called Work Matters, Connecting Sunday Worship to Monday Work. Have you ever wondered how my uh, belief in, in Christ and my surrender to him and my following Jesus connects to my vocation, my job, my work that I do day to day? Tom Nelson has written a wonderful book about that. This, this book, Work Matters. And he leads a, he's not only a pastor and he's part of the Evangelical Free Church, our denomination, but he's also given leadership to an organization called Made to Flourish, which is really provides a lot of good resources for this. The other book I'd recommend, it's a little more detail, is called Kingdom Calling. 
vocational stewardship for the common good. It's by a woman named Amy Sherman. So those, there's some copies in the back if you want to thumb through those. But here's what, here, here's what I'm going to do is we've given like a, a, a real sweeping overview of, of this idea of, of being God's stewards and as he's made us for, for his glory in the opening chapters of Genesis. I want to give you a couple encouragements about stewardship and vocation. The first one, and it's connecting a couple of the passages we've looked at this morning, is that it takes time for a tree to produce fruit. My first encouragement to you is have patience. Be okay with the reality that producing fruit for God's glory takes time. I was just reading this week, um, someone shared with me an article, uh, that some trees, such as plum trees, they take three to five years to produce fruit. Anybody have a fruit tree in their backyard or planted one and then had to wait and had to wait and had to wait? Okay, uh, if, if you've ever, uh, if, if you like almonds, almond trees, um, Sarah and I used to live in California, and there's just acres upon acres in Northern California of almond farms. Almond trees can take up to 12 years to produce an almond. So next time you eat an almond and you're like, this is delicious. Like that's 12 years in the making. What we need to grasp, friends, is we need to be okay with the reality that when God says, I'm going to make you fruitful for my glory, that he's, we're on his timetable. The encouragement is it's okay, be patient, and continue to see God prune you over time. Al Mohler, who um, is the... Many of you know who Al Mohler is, as a president of Southern Seminary for a long time and pastor. He said, we often overestimate what we can accomplish in a single year, and we underestimate what we can accomplish in a decade. Let me say that again. We often overestimate what we can accomplish in a year, but we often underestimate what can be accomplished in a decade. And some of you who've lived for a while, you look back on the years and you say, there's sometimes I just... I went at it so hard and I wanted to achieve this and that. But sometimes you get years, sometimes decades down the line and you look back and you say, I am so radically different than I was 10 years ago. And it's like, I, I, God did it. God did such a work in my life. See, maybe another way to, to say this first encouragement is have you ever uh, wondered why Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years of his life? Has that thought ever occurred to you? Jesus had three years of public ministry after age 30. He grew up in a home of a carpenter and his family, and he learned a trade for 30 years. Was Jesus' first 30 years as a carpenter a waste of time? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe, maybe it, it, what if this was intentional? What if this was part of Jesus' full humanity? That he would be a craftsman, a cultivator, a protector of creation. That he would grow up practicing the very stewardship that he designed us for. See, it takes time to be fruitful. And I'll tell you, Jesus knows what that feels like. That he showed with his own patience in practicing a trade for 30 years. Think about that. Okay, that's the first encouragement, all right? Second one is, uh, this comes a, a quote from Tom Nelson, who I just re referred to. Work is firstly contribution, not compensation. Okay, I want this one to be a paradigm shifter for you. If you've approached work 
whether it's your work with your family in your home, and I realize many of you work incredibly hard with your kids and with your family and aren't compensated in that official paycheck, that is a vocation and a, and a, and a role and a, and a wonderful contribution. But many of us are working jobs and sometimes you can go, I'm just there for the paycheck. The challenge of what you're created for from Genesis 1 is to realize that what God has made you for is not merely to get that money, but he's made you to be a contributor in the work that he is doing as the gardener. A contributor to him who is all things are made for his glory. Seeing what he is doing and joining in his work, your work can be firstly contribution to see God be glorified and not necessarily just compensation. That's a challenge for you. Here's another encouragement. Your work is not merely a, a hopper for evangelistic contacts. It matters the work that you actually do. Okay, listen, evangelism in the workplace includes both spiritual conversations and good work. I want to encourage every single one of you, no matter what you do, whether you're in an office, you work from home, or whether you have a trade, or whether you work, uh, whether it's, it's homeschooling your kids, whatever, whatever it is, do good work for God's glory. Whether you make cabinets, you teach kindergartners, whether you work at a hospital, whether you write computer code or, or whatever it is, do it all for God's glory because the very work that you do is bringing him worship. The beautiful things that you make, the people that you care for, it's worship to him. And it also is an, it's a witness to who you follow and what you believe. And that connects to the last one here. It's that you are an ambassador in the marketplace. You're an ambassador in the community around us. Seek God's glory through, through creativity, through restoring things, through caring for people, through honesty and integrity in your work. In short, friends, inspire your non-believing friends and coworkers to be Ones who underestimate and protect. Show them what that looks like. It will point them to the one who designed them and fashioned them. Opening an opportunity for them to hear the gospel. As they see the beautiful things as we're ambassadors for God. See, I want to just, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll crystallize it this way. Just in terms of vision for us as a church. We've talked about integrating faith into every area of our life. It's a huge value for us that I want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ impact every single part of who you are. Not compartmentalizing our faith, but we want our church to be a place where people catch a vision for how the gospel impacts everything and work and fruitfulness. Vocation is an important starting point. Let me give an example of someone that I've been inspired by in our own church family. Um, many of you know Wilson Vave. Uh, he happens to be outside at the garden helping with the kids project today. Um, Wilson has become a really good friend, and he's a member here. Um, if you don't know, I like to go to Dunn Brothers to get coffee a lot. So I'm kind of there, like, all the time. <laughs> and Wilson started working there a, few year, a couple years ago, I think. And I've had the privilege, as I'm sitting there working or meeting with people, to sit and watch him work. And I've been watching him as he started fresh in a new place, Building trust over time, 
slowly investing in the people and the place there through the diligence, caring about people, the hard work that he's been doing, just working hard, loving and caring the people around him, and day by day, just a a joyful and peaceful presence in his workplace. And I'll tell you, God's bearing fruit through that. Uh, A number of months ago, and I I can't remember the time frame because it's, you know, full time warp or whatever, um, I know Wilson became a manager at Dunn Brothers. And I asked him if I could share all of this, by the way. I talked with him a few months after he'd started, kind of doing a bunch of the managerial work and such. And he's working on the computer one day in the coffee shop. So I walk up to him, I go, hey, how's it going? And it's, you know, it's no long, I mean, now you've got a whole other level of complexity when you start managing people. And some of you know exactly what that feels like. And I just said, how's it going there? And, and I asked him, tell me what it's been like in this new role. And he said, I've been, this is what he said, I've been trying really hard to think about how I can manage people in this business in such a, in, in such a way that they would see Jesus. And it just warmed my heart. Just to hear him say, the lens in which I'm looking at this place is that they would see Jesus through my words and deeds. That he genuinely cared about his work, that he would do good work for the Lord, but also even more so to care about the people around him, that they would know Christ. Friends, this is the dream, this is the desire that, that, that if, if we would grow to become, as we've talked about, friends, a training center as a church that inspires people to be ambassadors in the marketplace. Seeing that, that we have, maybe we have materials available or conversation studies, people like you who can talk with one another about how I walk in faithfulness to Jesus with these people that I work with. That we'd be available to learn about vocational stewardship and fruitfulness and what it means to integrate our faith into those areas of life. And friends, what if we saw the the gospel proclaimed and demonstrated? People coming to Jesus in surrender and faith. Transformation happening in our own community because we're engaged in businesses, in the marketplace, in in our community in, in, in ways that, that are transformational for God's glory. That's the goal. That's my prayer. Okay, here's what, where I want to land with this. If you go back now to John 15, I just want to close with, and maybe I'll, um, I'll summarize it for us. John 15, picking up in verses 9 through 17 describe what fruitfulness looks like. It's like fruitfulness explained straight from Jesus' own own lips. This is what he says about fulfilling our calling as his image bearers, his stewards, being pruned and abiding in him. Just listen to these words as I read. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Jesus says. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. 
Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So friends, what is fruitfulness? According to Jesus in this passage, it is everything that is the product of effective prayer in Jesus' name for God's glory, secure in the love of Christ. Remember that he says, as we've, we've, we've described in Ephesians 2 and we've talked about in other places in the scriptures, we are secure in what Christ has done as we've received it by grace through faith and yet now through pra- prayerfully we work for God's glory, those works God has prepared in advance for us to do. See, there's, a, there's an outline here. Let me just sh- close with these four things that are from this paragraph that describe what fruitfulness is. It is obedience to Jesus. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in in my love. It's a reflection of his own obedience to the Father. We are like Jesus in that we walk in obedience in light of the gospel. The second one is we experience Jesus' joy. When you are a steward, when you're walking in, in God's ways and you're doing it for his glory, you have the joy of Jesus, that his joy would be complete in us. Thirdly, we see that we should love one another. That's fruit. That's the fruit of seeing God change and transform your heart. That we love each other just as Jesus has loved us, as verses 12 and 13 say. And then the last is that we're a witness to the world. Verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And he says, I appointed you that you would go and bear much fruit. He says, go out in the world. You bring my representative presence and my delegated authority as my ambassadors to be fruitful in your work, in your relationships, and to bring me glory. This is the challenge from this passage. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would embody these things, that you'd draw us near and empower us, that we stand secure, as we've described earlier, blood-bought children of God. Now we get to walk in obedience out of love for you, free, full of joy. Lord, I know that across this room and over the years, I've gotten to know people's lives and their vocations and their homes and families. Lord, you've called each person in this room uniquely in their workplace, in their home, in the various relationships you've given them, some that they have that are believers and some that are not. Lord, in every way, we want to be obedient to you. We want your joy, Lord Jesus. We want to love one another. And we want to be a witness for Christ in all that we do and all that we say that we'd be fruitful, that you would prune us and make us more fruitful for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.